Well, let's keep our Bibles open, please, at um, Isaiah chapter 12, or turn back to Isaiah chapter 12. And we want to look together at this chapter this evening. But before we do so, to try and give us a sense of the context, I want to describe a scene which is familiar to us and even to some degree today. I want you to imagine a sky that is thick with cloud and the clouds are heavy and they are evidently full of rain and you're expecting a downpour, perhaps thunder and lightning. And in many respects, that is the context that we have in Isaiah, spiritually. It's a way of describing the time in which Isaiah lived. He lived um, around 800 years before Jesus was born. Uh, He, uh, as we saw, uh, was in the temple when he came to faith in the Lord Jesus, looking forward to the Christ who would come. And then he was called to be a prophet. And it was a very difficult time at which to be a prophet in the church, in the Old Testament, and to the nation that was supposed to be ruled by God alone. There were all kinds of things happening that God had uh, not wanted to happen, that didn't honor God, that didn't show that they loved the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. They were following not only God in his worship in the temple, but they were following other gods. They had picked up on material things, and so they had a a hold in their hearts. They had picked up um, evil um, customs around them by the other nations, and those things were gripping their hearts. And they were worshipping and serving false gods alongside the true God. And they became careless about how they would live. They had no longer the same concern about truth and speaking truth. No longer the concern about loving their neighbor. And so they were happy to steal for their neighbor. Not just not breaking into their house necessarily, but taking advantage of them in business deals and in life in general. And then, as often happens, when the church, in whichever testament and in whichever age, moves away from its life and centrality in Christ, there is a decline in morality. And there is immorality that follows. And so this dark sky, uh, if you want to put it like that, is hanging over Israel and uh, Judah. And God is saying particularly uh, to them, the church, there's going to come judgment. And uh, my judgment is already among you in the gentle showers. But my judgment is going to become a deluge in time that is going to take you out of the land if you do not turn back to me. Now let's go back again to our literal sky 
which is full and thick of cloud, with cloud. And now you see a little ray of sunlight coming into that clouded sky. We've all seen it at times. And it's um, bright enough to be recognized, but not so bright that you can't look at it. And that is Isaiah's conversion. God is working in his grace in this dark situation. And he raises up an Isaiah. An Isaiah. And you can see other little rays of light. It's like almost when the, the sun is shining through clouds and you see rays going down from it. And that's what Isaiah calls the remnant or the minority whom God will save. And so that's the context into which Isaiah ministers. And he himself is looking for Messiah. And at a later point, there will come not just a ray of sunlight, but a huge beam of light into this clouded sky. As Isaiah glimpses more and more of the Christ that God has promised and is now revealing to him and through his ministry. So, with that long introduction, let's come then to our three points this evening. Because this 12th chapter is all about our response to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, Isaiah doesn't make any response. There's not a word of gratitude or praise or thanksgiving to God for his salvation then. But it comes now in this chapter. And this chapter is not just about the individual responding to the Lord for his salvation. It is the people as well, that minority, that remnant. And so our first title this evening is The Lord is my, and stroke or slash, our salvation. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is our salvation. It has to begin with the individual. And when we have a group of people as yourselves who experience this salvation, then it is our salvation. The church um, knowing God's salvation. I want us to notice the little phrase in verse 1 and in verse 4. It's a phrase uh, in that day. And it's a phrase that Isaiah uses again and again. He's looking forward to a future day. In that day of Messiah. In that day of the Christ that has been promised. The Christ that I preach. The Christ that I trust. The Christ that is being revealed. In that day. In that time when Messiah is at work in the earth and he was at work back then as he is at work today, even if we can't see it as clearly or as fully uh, as um, it is happening. And this phrase, in that day, it splits the song into two halves. Verses 1 and 2 are largely are personal. And verses 3 to 6 are largely corporate or congregational. So we have 
uh, giving thanks to the Lord by the individual, giving thanks to the Lord by the congregation for his salvation. And the individual is responding here in verse 2, and look at how Isaiah puts it, Behold, that means stop, look, marvel, wonder, God is my salvation. And why should Isaiah say, stop a moment, don't rush ahead. Take a moment to to reflect on and to, to marvel at the fact that God is your salvation. Why does he say that? Well, because it is unnatural. It is a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. And the miracles of God um, deserve and uh, require us to stop and behold them. When you see a lovely sunset this time of the year, you stop, don't you? And maybe some of us, we I want to capture it on the camera because it is so, uh, we're so touched by it. And that's part of the wonder of God's creation. And Isaiah says, behold, God's salvation, it's worth stopping and looking at. It's worth lo- holding uh, onto and, and capturing that we look at it again and again. Verse 2, he has become my salvation. And young people, that reminds us that there is a time in all of our lives when the Lord was not my salvation, when I did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, for some of us, um, that will have been for whatever number of years, my own case, 13 years thereabouts. For some of you as adults, it could be 20, 30, 40 years. But then, um, but the point is, there's always a time at which the Lord becomes our salvation. It's not an accident. It's not something that happens automatically. In the same way as my hair went gray, uh, and our hair tends to go gray with age. No, here is something that must happen decisively. Now, we know from Scripture why this is the case. It's because each one of us are conceived in sin. That moment means, boys and girls, the very moment you were formed inside your mother, at that very moment, you were a sinner in God's sight. And God in Christ has to become your salvation. Now, God may have, by his Holy Spirit, brought you to salvation while you were still in your mother's womb. That is um, perfectly uh, possible with God, and it has happened. We read of it in Scripture. We read of it with Jeremiah and with others. And by the way, it's surely one of those powerful arguments against abortion. Why it is wrong. If God saves individuals when they're in the womb, he's not saving a piece of 
matter. He's saving someone who's made in his image. He's saving a human being in Christ by that work of the Spirit. And, but for most of us, this coming to salvation, it happens when we, after we are born. Uh, you may not be able to tell as a young person when it happened, but you can say today, the Lord has become my salvation. And whatever age we are tonight, whether we are um, a young child, whether we're a teenager, whether we are in young adulthood, or we're in the last um, phase of life, the key thing to be able to say is, he has become my salvation. Not to be able to say it happened in this year, a certain year, certain place, at a certain time of day. If you can, that's fine. But it's the reality of saying he has become my salvation. And so Isaiah is thinking of that moment when in the temple, in a worship service, the Lord became his salvation. And now he's giving thanks to the Lord for that. Look at what he says it means for the Lord to become our salvation. Verse 1, you were angry with me. God was rightly angry, and he's rightly angry with human beings in their sin because our thoughts, our speech, our attitudes, our actions, they're all me-centered, not God-centered. And so to be saved means that we are taken out of that state, state of where we're under God's wrath. And look at the rest of the verse. Your anger is turned away from me and you comfort me. God now takes us like a parent takes their child in their arms and he says, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I delight in you. That's what it means to have Jesus as our Savior. The Lord is my salvation. So Isaiah responding personally. But then by the second half of this poem, Isaiah is um, speaking not just of himself, but now on behalf of the people. Verse 3, you, it now means all of you, will draw near, or will draw, sorry, um, from the wells or the fountains of salvation. All of you will draw. Uh, and it's speaking not uh, of the people now. And this word wells, it's a, it's a, a very uh, vivid word. It's translated in Genesis chapter 7, verse 8, and chapter, sorry, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, and Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, uh, at the time of the flood. And there it is translated as the springs or the fountains of water. They bubbled up, they broke forth. And so here's a picture of the salvation of God bubbling up and breaking forth. I love to think of the spring well. I wonder who knows what a spring well is. 
It's one of those places where water is found in the ground and it's bubbling up. And so a farmer will sink a well and it goes away, way down and it fills up and you can pump water out of it into a tank at your home or to, 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 um, uh, to give water to animals and it's still full. That's the picture of God's salvation. It's not just, and indeed it's not even just a well, it's the wells of salvation. We can never exhaust it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that a reason for you and me to praise the Lord every day for his salvation? That today I can come and I drink of this salvation so that my sins today are forgiven not just those of the past but those of the present and also and this is not an excuse to keep on sinning but that the sins of the future will also be satisfied and covered from this well of salvation and so um, like the women uh, at the well Every day we need to say, Lord Jesus, give me, give me of your, let me experience your salvation. Let me drink of your salvation. Let me take it in today so that my sin is cleansed, my guilt is covered, and I am able to walk, as it were, confidently in you and before you. Isaiah describes his response to this salvation uh, in verse 2. And it's the response that we must make individually and corporately. I will praise. I will praise. Isn't there a danger or is there not a danger that we can come to the point that we forget to praise the Lord today for his salvation, past, present and future? We can become so familiar with these things, young people like your mom, becoming familiar with your mom and dad, that you forget to give thanks. You take for granted. We take for granted. Look at verse 3 then. Uh, sorry, verse 4. He urges Zion, give thanks to the Lord. And then verse 3 he says, with joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. And you know, it's right that you and I should be sorrowful about our sin. But you know, when we come to Christ and we ask for forgiveness, it should be with joy, with joy, that we draw from the well. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sin. And I shouldn't have done it. I know better. But Lord Jesus, with joy, I now drink of your salvation. So, singing and giving thanks to the Lord, um, for he is my, he is our salvation. But then let's notice secondly this, this evening, singing and giving thanks to the Lord, for the Lord is my stroke our strength. The Lord is my, he is our strength. 
where I grew up, my family home. We had a well. But you know what happened every summer, boys and girls? What do you think happens when the dry weather comes? What happens to the water? It runs dry. That wasn't a real well. It was a well that just caught the rainwater that was coming off the fields. But across at my grandmother's, about half a mile across the road, there was a real spring well. And when there was a really dry summer, we had to bring water from that well at my grandmother's. We brought it in creamery cans um, that the milk used to go in, big cans this size here, and um, had to put it into the water tank. Um, And then we had water where our well had run dry. But this well at my grandmother's, it was in the middle of a field that we used for hay, cutting hay and making it ready. Uh, And of course, when do you make hay? When the sun shines. And when the sun shines, the water begins, and you're working in the hay field, the water begins to come out of your skin. You begin to sweat or perspire. And before long, you feel thirsty. And I remember my uncle getting the two special tools and this big, round, heavy stone, that thick there, made of concrete, putting them down in, the two tools down in and lifting the big stone lid off and dipping the jug into the well. And we were just dying for a drink. And I remember he would give us then this to drink and you could only take a little amount because if you drank too much, you get the shooting pain up your forehead because it was so cold. And when you had a couple of cupfuls, you were ready to take the, the hay fork or the rake and to get going again. It was like a tonic. It gave you strength. And this is what Isaiah is saying here. The Lord is not only my salvation, he also is my strength. When I am weak, And I feel I can't take another step forward. When I am weak because the circumstances around me in my life are squeezing the life out of me. Or something's happening in my family. And I think, I can't keep going. Then this God who has saved me, I need to remember, he is also my strength. He gives strength to the weary. And so verse 2, the Lord is my strength. And actually, boys and girls, this is full of biblical reality when we go back to Exodus 15, because this is what Miriam said after the Lord had done what? The Lord had brought them across the Red Sea. Do you remember the picture there? It was the picture where they'd been brought out of Egypt and now they were journeying and they thought that we have, we've escaped at last. It's all behind us. And then suddenly they realized we are hemmed in. There's a mountain to our left. There's a mountain to our right. There is this river before, of us, before us and the Egyptians are behind us. What are we going to do? No matter which direction we turn in, we are going to be killed. But 
we know what happened. When they were at their weakest, when they were in the greatest danger humanly possible, because the Lord loved them, because he was showing his salvation to them, what did he do? He showed his strength. He pushed the waters apart. And the Israelites under Moses, one after another, and probably a million, million and a half people across the Red Sea. The Lord is my strength. He holds back the waters, the natural things that would destroy me. But also he held back the Egyptians. And indeed, when the Egyptians tried to follow them, you know what happened, young people, don't you? The water came in over them. And so Miriam sings about the Lord striking down the horse and its rider, doing so in his strength. And so not only is the Lord the strength of our strength when we are naturally weak because it's just very difficult in life, he's also our strength whenever we are hemmed in by the circumstances. And he is our strength when there are people who are after us and wanting to destroy you as young people in school because you're a Christian, or wanting to bring you down as adults in your workplace or in the neighborhood or community because you too confess Jesus is Lord. And he comes. He comes not when we are strutting around the place, and thinking how great I am. He comes when our heads are down and our backs are broken and uh, our, our eyes are filled with tears because we are weak. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? And indeed it caused the Apostle Paul to say, well, actually, I would prefer to be in weakness. Isn't that a strange thing to say? I would prefer to be in a weak state Well, Paul, hold on here a moment. Why would you prefer to be in a weak state? Because then I am strong in the Lord. It's like, um, if you think of a bottle, you want to pour water into it. It's got the cap on it. How much water is going to go in? None. Um, Or if the water bottle is full of of because it's being rinsed out. It's full of uh, washing up liquid. You want to put something in it. You've got to get that out before you can put in your water, your fresh water or your juice or whatever it is. And in the same way, the Lord has got to get our natural strength out of us before he can pour his divine strength into us. And so, brothers and sisters, Isaiah is saying here, the Lord is my strength. That's a reason to praise him. So the Lord in his salvation doesn't just wipe out my sin. That's wonderful. But he gives me strength to live for him in a new way. He gives us strength to live for him in difficult circumstances with difficult people. When we are weak, And so, 
Uh, the Lord is my strength. And so, how does Isaiah respond to that? Well, look at verse 2. I will trust and not be afraid. You see, when the Lord's strength is upon us and in us, then he will deal with the enemy. He will deal with the circumstances in whatever way he chooses. And we can trust him that he do what is right and what is good. And we don't need to be afraid. And perhaps some of you here as young people in your teens, or perhaps some of us as young Christians, we tend to be fearful. And we're afraid of circumstances. We're afraid of people. And we allow circumstances and situations to to rob us of peace and joy. And we need to learn to trust and not to be afraid. Because the Lord is over all things, as we saw in our opening psalm. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. Two wonderful reasons for us to praise him and to thank him. But there's a third. The Lord is my stroke, our song. The Lord is my song. And you'll see how uh, Isaiah brings it all together in verse 2. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. Now you can tell a lot about a family uh, and a household as well as the individual by the kind of music they listen to and the songs they sing. If you were uh, to go to Johnny and Ruth's tonight where we are staying at the moment or these days, and you heard Postman Pat or Fireman Sam uh, ringing out through um, or the air as you came to the door, you would say, there's a child in this house. And you would say, it's not Johnny and it's not Ruth. You see, you can tell a lot by a person by what they listen to and what they sing about. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. Please don't take this as a slur on a Donegal man. But if Daniel O'Donnell is your favorite artist, that tells you about someone or someone's favorite artist that they like the old time waltz, the easy nostalgic way of life um, that his songs portray. But young people, if some of your friends listen to and sing the songs of Bauhaus or The Cure, and those are by and large names that are unknown to me as well, but it's gothic music. And so they will be dressed in black typically, and they will have bits and pieces of metal 
hanging from their face, their skin, and all kinds of peculiar places. You can tell a lot about people from what they listen to, the songs they listen to, and the songs they sing. So what is the song of the believer? What is the song of the church? Look at verse 2. The Lord is my song. And there's the standard for praise. It's a standard that is becoming increasingly lost in the evangelical church today, where so much of the singing is not about the Lord, but it's about people. We can thank God in humility, not in pride, that we have 150 songs to sing that are 3,000 years old, um, some of them older than that, and each and every one of them is about the Lord. And yes, even when the man who writes them is talking about his own life, it's always in relation to the Lord, and he's um, wanting to frame whatever's happening in his life, whether it's joy or sorrow, by the Lord. That's a wonderful blessing. Let's not take it for granted. And so, um, here in these words, the Lord is my song, there's a throwback again to Exodus 15 and to Miriam's song. And so Isaiah, as he thinks about this great salvation that God is going to accomplish in Christ um, in the future in the nations of the earth and is already accomplishing in Isaiah and in a remnant, his mind goes back. What did God do at the Exodus? And how it all seems so weak, but it was so perfect. And so Isaiah picks up in this phrase, The Lord is my song. And in our hearts every day, um, whether we sing aloud or not, whether we're a good singer or a bad singer, in tune, out of tune, doesn't matter. But in our hearts every day, the Lord is to be our song. My song, your song, our song. He's the one that we should want to sing about and to give praise and thanks to for all that he is to us. Look at verse 4. Give thanks. It's now in the plural. It's, it's addressed to the church. Give thanks to the Lord. Call or upon his name. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord. Why? For he has done gloriously. Look at what he's done for us. Look at what he's making us. Verse 6, cry aloud and shout for joy. And now it's back in the singular because it's O dweller of Zion. O dweller within the church. You have been saved and added to the church. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord is in the midst, not just of us He's, uh, as we gather for worship. He is that in a special way. And in an extraordinary way, we might say, or 
maybe extraordinary is not the right word there, but uh, beyond the ordinary. He's with all of us every day. But when we come together, um, uh, great is the Lord in your midst. And remember, he's the Holy One of Israel. And so, Isaiah says, this Lord who is my salvation and who is my strength, he's the one I love to sing about. He's the one we love to sing about. But just as we close, there's a little twist here in this word or here as well, because it's actually just not a simple singing. It's not just a, um, a song of worship. There's also um, the spoken word of witness. And the two go together in Isaiah's mind. Notice the words of verse 4. Make known, uh, plural, his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Verse 6. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O Zion. So yes, there's the song of worship. But also, if we could put it like this, there's the song of witness. And you see, this is the wonder of knowing God's salvation in our own lives and knowing Christ as the strength of our lives. We don't just want to sing about it. To the Lord and with our families and with the church, we want also to speak about him and what he has done and what he will do for others. And so how wonderful this is that in this overcast sky that speaks of judgment, there's this ray of light that comes in. And brethren, we are not in a very different situation today just as we close. There's an overcast sky and the clouds are gathering more and more and the day of judgment is going to come. But let's remember the sun shines in his brightness and he will shine even more brightly in it all as he comes to complete our salvation, as he comes and makes us perfect in strength and as he comes and takes us to himself and we will sing the song of salvation forever and ever not just with a little group like what you have or we have in Inniskillen or Carrickfergus, but with that great multitude that no man, no woman can number, but that God has, is, and will save through Christ. Amen. Well, let us stand for prayer and to receive the benediction. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for your salvation wrought by the triune God in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you, Father, for your love set upon us in eternity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life and death, for the forgiveness of our sins. 
We thank you, Holy Spirit, for that quickening work that is the new birth, where we say, The Lord has become my salvation. How wonderful it is to know your salvation. We praise you for it. We do so with joy. And Lord God, we also worship you as our strength. We pray this evening for any who are deeply conscious of their weakness. We thank you that they will be filled with your strength. We pray equally this evening for any who are full of their own strength, that they will be weakened so that they will be made ready to receive your strength. And Lord God, we pray this evening and we ask that you would help us to make you more and more the song of our lives every day. We praise you for all that you have done and all that you are doing and all that you will do in us and in the earth. And we pray that you would help us, Lord God, to speak of your salvation as well as sing of it, to do so in a way that is natural amongst our neighbours, our work colleagues, those that we are in school with, wherever we are among people. Give us that grace, courage and wisdom to speak a word for Christ in season. And we ask it to the glory of your name. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.